This is Iris Berry from Punk Hostage Press, and you're listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California, the Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaiman, and welcome to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. As the devil himself apparently once said via the Rolling Stones, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a rock and roll witch from Hollywood, California. My obsession with music and the occult started at the age of 12 and is still going strong. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly, which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s through the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've been a professional dancer who's toured around the globe teaching and performing, and you've probably seen me dancing in a number of music videos, feature films, and documentaries. I'm also an actor with several film credits. Find out more about me at PleasantGaiman.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network of Rock and Roll Shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, hell! I just had to say that. Anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, Head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding! This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to the Devil's Music Podcast. My guest today is Miss Guy. He's a really famous, 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 longtime famous um, rock and roll scene icon from New York. He's done stuff that you couldn't even imagine from the late 70s onwards. He's 
been involved with the scene as being one of the foremost DJs ever. He's a producer. He's produced songs and co-written songs, I think, co-written songs with Blondie. He knows everybody you could imagine. He's an incredible photographer. He's a super fantastic makeup artist. He's actually, speaking of artists, he's an artist and always, and he's also one of the nicest and most fun people I've ever met. Shockingly, though, we've known each other for decades. We don't really know each other that well because we live on separate coasts. So we only see each other like two ships passing in the night. But now we're here together for this whole episode. Hi, guy. Hi, Pleasant. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I'm doing good. I'm sitting here doped up on pain pills because I just got some stitches out. So we're in for a wild ride today. <laughs> um, well, I'm jacked up on coffee, so. Oh, yeah, I just I just got all jacked up on coffee, too. And I took a maintenance piece so I didn't have to crutch to the bathroom <laughs> in the middle of the episode. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think this is so crazy that we really have known each other for decades, but there's only like, a handful of times I can think of that we've hung out in real life. So I got some questions for you. Um, like, I know you grew up out here, but I want to find out like um, what you were doing out here and then when you went to New York and decided to stay and do all of that before you turned into the um, iconic figure like everybody knows about or people are about to meet. Well, I, um, yeah, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, I lived part of my childhood in Orange County, um, Newport Beach, and then I am, and then we moved to San Diego for uh, the rest of my, you, you know, childhood. And once I graduated high school um, in '85, I, I, um, we, I was planning on moving to LA, um, but then I met Malcolm McLaren in my senior year of high school at a party in LA. And he said to me and my best friend, oh, you, you know, we were all dressed up. He said, you guys, should, have you ever been to New York? And we said, no. And he said, you guys should go to New York. They would love you there. So the following week at school, I said, well, I guess we're moving to New York. So a couple months after we graduated, we, we came to New York. And uh, we, well, I've been here ever since, but we did try living in L.A. for about six months in, in, the, in like 88 and uh, she stayed a few years. I, I, I didn't like it. Um, so I came back to New York. But um, I mean, I love L.A. and I, I, I could very well live there. But at that time, you know, I, I, I just didn't want to be out of New York. So that was it. That was uh, how I got to New York. It's funny because I had a, I mean, my, my experience is a little bit similar. I was born in New York City. I lived in upstate New York and Connecticut. And I just assumed that the second I got out of the small town I was in, I would be in New York City, even though LA was my dream. And then through a whole bunch of crazy circumstances, um, my family wound up moving to LA and then I joined them. And this was, um, just a few days before my 16th birthday. And when I found out we were moving to LA, I was like, oh, the angel smiled on me. And then it was immediately from that point, it was just on. But then like in, in 1979, I went to New York for two weeks 
and went, me and Kid Congo, and we wound up staying for months, living with um, Christian Hoffman from the Mumps and Bradley Field from Teenage Jesus on the Bowery at the point when cabs wouldn't go down there. So we were we were there for a while, and then we would go back and forth, like like all by coastal and shit. But um, you know, LA is LA is mass city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I um, I was just talking with uh, Teresa the other day. Teresa Carrillas. Yeah, um, I did her portrait the other day, and, and uh, we were talking about you know New York and LA and in in the seventies and even the early eighties. I mean, I was just a kid in the seventies, but I used to. I have older siblings, so I used to see shows and you know concerts with my older siblings, and I I always have said I wish that I was born five or ten years earlier because I would have seen New York and LA in the seventies, which, you know, I, I the, it, New York was really fun in the eighties and the nineties, but um, it wasn't, you know, I mean, seventies is the decade that everybody, you know, that wasn't there wishes that they were there for. I mean, New York in the sixties would have been great too. There's lots of cities and decades around throughout time that would have been amazing to see. London in the 60s but anyway I um I did get to see some good stuff starting um and you know big concerts and in 76 um I saw a lot of the big acts that were playing arenas and then around 79 or 80 uh my one older brother started taking me to see shows like in smaller clubs like I saw X and um some of the west coast punk bands and um and I saw Devo Blondie, but in theaters, not small punk clubs. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw, and then in the early 80s, I saw a lot of good bands, but, um, you know, I uh, I definitely feel like I missed um, the, the major years of New York and LA, you know, as far as like what every, what everybody reads about and, you know, the documentaries that are made. It's just like, you're very lucky that you were, um, all of you guys that were around that time. I mean, it's just, I'm jealous. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I get you exactly because like, um, before then, you know what I mean? Like, like for the years leading up to that, at least like four or five years in my case, when I was like 10 and 11 and 12, like reading cream magazine and rock scene and all of those, I would just be looking at shit that was going on like in, in, in London and um, in New York City and be like, why wasn't I born five years before? In the same way, do you know what I mean? And I was actually in London at the height of um, of Glitter Rock. So uh, when, I was, when I was in London as an underage mother's helper, um, I'd always wanted to be in the glam rock scene. And so there I was, but I was like 13 and not like, you know, 18 or something. And so I was taking the kid that I was, um, caring for to Hyde Park and I saw Nigel Harrison um, from Silverhead on on the street and then he got on a bus and so I yanked the kid's arm and just dragged her along with me and we got on the bus and oh followed God, him all crazy. the way across London and this is when he was in Silverhead and I, I loved yeah. Silverhead I had that album and now for years obviously decades ago I met Nigel when he started playing with Blondie and I know Michael DeBar and stuff but I mean at that moment, that really made me be the same as you. I was like, "How come I? Uh, how come I'm not five years old there?" Like it yeah. was just 
It was just crazy. Yeah, I met not of uh, uh, Michael Day Barr um, in when I was living in LA in '88 for like six months. He was very nice. Um, so yeah, so you didn't. You also miss, must have missed the LA glam rock scene of the early '70s as well, right? I, yeah, I missed like the '73 to '75 part, but I got here in LA in seven in 75. And the first thing I did was go to a, a queen concert and meet the boys that were gonna become the germs. And there was yeah. still some glitter rock stuff going on here, but it was, it was very <clears throat> slowly getting replaced by what now would be called the alternative. I mean, there was like bands like, um, like the dogs, the Imperial dogs uh, and um, the motels and Van Halen were sort of starting up and they would play they would play all together even though people can't understand how those bands would fit together it's just because they were not normal rock and roll same with the runaways like my the first person i met at the high school that i transferred to his name was randy k and we wound up starting lobotomy magazine and his his best friend was joan jett who actually teresa caricus went to high school with so we that started like within four days of being at school. I was already like cutting to go to SIR to watch the Runaways first, <laughs> and this was before you know this was before they they were making that their first album, and you know what I mean. But I mean oh. that just was like, but it was you know I didn't get to be at the good parts when like Alice Cooper was picking up fourteen year olds at, at Rodney's or you know I what see. I mean. Like, when did Rod? When did that place close? That was. That closed right around 75, I think, it, or maybe it was the end of 70. It closed like right about just when I got there. I don't remember the exact date, but of course, Rodney was one of the first people I met. And then Rodney like asked me out on a date and showed up in this like pink satin granny takes a trip from the London store, like right. Austin Clark kind of suit and his Cadillac. And You know, because it was the 70s, I guess. My mom thought nothing of like, I don't even know how old he was then. He might have been in his late 20s or early 30s, but he was an old man to be going out with someone that was 15. But my mom didn't seem to think there was anything weird about it, but hashtag 70s. It was a different time. Um, Did Wasn't there a granny takes a trip in in New York as well? I mean, I missed it. Yeah, there was one on Sunset Strip and that's how me and Jane Weedland met. Like we were, by the time punk was starting, like I had shirts that had spray paint stencils across them and all these weird old um, World War II images from like books that I Xeroxed and got them turned into iron-on. So I, and then I would splatter it with paint. So I brought some of those in to see if Granny Takes a Trip wanted to sell it. Um, oh, I didn't know there was one in LA. Yeah, there was. It was right on Sunset Strip, like right across from where Geffen Records was, like a little bit west of the whiskey. But um, and then Jane walked in and she had these T-shirts that had zippers, workable zippers going down each boob so that you could like pull open the zipper on one or both and either show your bra or your boobs. And we both were looking at each other all suspiciously. But then she was like, I was she always told me I was the first real punk she met. And I told her about the mask and then (laughs) the rest is history. And we've been like besties for like 40 cough, cough, cough years. (laughs) But so, okay, so like enough about me. Um, When did you start the Toilet Boys? Was that, um, was that in, I don't even know if that was in LA or New York. It was in New York, right? It was in New York. I mean, I always wanted to start a band. My older 
brothers had a local band in, in San Diego and Orange County that were, were kind of popular on the scene. I mean, in, what were they the, called? The Flirts, but before the girl band came along. Yeah. And, um, so they kind of, you know, they were like not very ambitious. I hate to say that, but they just weren't. I mean, otherwise they would have moved to LA or New York because they were all old enough to move to LA or New York, but they were playing, you know, in the small towns in San Diego and Orange County and had, you know, people coming to their shows, but they just didn't. My, they moved, my one brother moved to LA in the earlier mid eighties, um, but it was kind of like, he's, he, I don't know if he was still doing music. I was, anyway, they, they didn't push it, but I always wanted to do a band as well. My dad was also in a band. He, um, he had a band in the sixties when he was a kid called um, the Centurions, which uh, they had a, you know, they were like a surf group. And then years later in the nineties, uh, Quentin Tarantino used one of their songs in Pulp Fiction. That's so, what I thought that I recognized the name. Yeah, yeah. They weren't, popular in the 60s i mean i guess locally they were but you know they didn't do like what the beach boys did or anything or, right. or, or um dick dale or anything like that but then in the late 60s and early 70s my dad had another band that was um a rock straight up rock band and they um toured with ike and tina turner and the birds and some other bands um so it, i grew up listening to music you know from as from as far back as I can remember. And it was always what I loved most, um, you know, anything rock, anything with feathers and platforms and makeup. And so Cher, Elton John, Bowie, Kiss. Um, yeah, all the goodies. A little bit later, Blondie and the Ramones and um, Devo and the B-52s. And, you know, a little bit later than that, maybe the Go-Go's. I saw them quite early on in San Diego. I was telling Kathy Valentine when I did her portrait, that I saw them in a venue that, you know, their record was out, their first record. So they were quite popular, but it wasn't like they weren't playing arenas or anything yet, but it was early on, but it was like a, a, a hall. I think it was called golden hall, which was, um, I saw the clash there in the early eighties and um, other bands played there. But um, so uh, I came to New York with the idea I would start a band, but I, I just, you know, for the first five or so years, maybe 10 years, I was just interested in going out and dressing up and get going to clubs. And, you know, I started DJing in like the early 90s. And then after a couple of years of DJing, I started, I wasn't meeting people, you know, that were um, into what I was into, what I was wanting to do, which was what I ended up doing with the Toilet Boys. So I eventually started meeting the right people in ninety. 495 and I started the band in 95 um and you know we played for a couple of years in New York um and you know got a buzz going and then we got asked to do a little west coast tour in like 97 summer of 97 and so we did okay out there considering no one really knew I mean people knew who I was because I was a DJ but they didn't know the band name or anything so um in the beginning, I called it Miss Guy and the Toilet Boys so that anyone who may have known who I was as a nightlife creature or a DJ would think, oh, I should go see this band. So then, you know, 
that we started doing quite well in LA and San Francisco in like 98. We toured with the Donnas and that helped us, you know, um, you know, get our, our yeah, get, get your platform get, shoes in the door. Yeah. <laughs> Let's and take so, a little break and listen to some okay. Toilet Boys and then we'll be right back. Hey, okay, here we are back with Miss Guy talking about the Toilet Boys. I think I saw you a couple of times, but I was trying to figure out where it was. Did you play that whiskey? We played, um, I think our first trip to the West Coast in 97, we played the whiskey because um, no one knew who we were. But Then so- I, w- I was at that show. That's what, that's what I mean. That's what popped into my head last night, at least that oh, one. We played with the Lunatics. They were on tour and they were yep. doing really well. And um, Theo, the singer, I, I mean, I was friends with, I'm, I am still friends with all of them, but, and I did, Theo's like been my best friend since the early nineties. And we, um, I did like the Lunatics. I did the makeup for their, most of their record covers and some of their videos and whatever. So we happened to be out there at the same time. And um, so they asked us to, play the show uh kind of at the last minute i think i don't remember now but the 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 whiskey whoever was booking it or or running it didn't seem to like us and um treated us pretty poorly and the funny thing is is my dad's band had played there numerous times in i guess the late 60s and early 70s but um we were excited to play there but we didn't um we didn't ever go back because then a, a, a year or so later, when we started filling clubs on our own, they whoever was booking asked us to play there, but because they were not so nice to us, we decided not to. But we played everywhere else: the Troubadour, um, the Roxy, many times, the Troubadour, many times, um, Key Club, which was the old what Gazaris? Yeah, it was Gazaris, <laughs> yeah, yeah. where they used to they, they all the all the hair metal shows would still have yeah, the Gazaris. Yeah. I loved like playing Gazzari. It's a great venue. I never went there when it was Gazzari's. I don't think, but um, I uh, and yeah, we played um, the Hollywood Athletic Club and yeah. Um, we, we, I don't remember the venue, but wherever Cherry was, you know, Brian Raven's party. Oh yeah, yeah, that was um. um God, what the hell was it called? I'm aging. I'm there aging rapidly. He was the first person to bring us out to LA, so. He, Who was Brian? Uh, Brian, yeah. So we, our first show on the West Coast was in L.A. at Cherry, and it was a really big venue. It must have been a couple of thousand people there, I would say, if I remember correctly. But And we did okay. I mean, you know, because it was like a rock party, and it was similar to Squeezebox, which was what I was doing and DJing in New York at the time. It went over well. And then so 
we got a little buzz going and started getting a lot of bookings around LA, but um, we never played anything big in LA. Well, I mean, a couple of places, but we didn't ever do like, um, I don't know if we ever played any like, you know, we never played the Hollywood Palladium. Um, and uh, I thought maybe we'd get to opening for somebody, but we never did. But, I know, um, well, neither, neither did I. So there you go. And I lived here. <laughs> is that um, funny? Yeah, it's so weird. So um, I know that um, this is this next thing I'm going to ask you is just for inquiring minds want to know. Whenever I think of of um, you, I always think of Debbie Harry because you guys have been so close for so many years. So she was she kind of like um, a mentor to you, or you guys just friends? And I know you've done music with her. And yeah, we uh, we we've known each other for, I guess, you know, about 30 years. Um, but, you know, and we've been tight for about 20. Um, but she liked my band. I mean, I, I, we, I, 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 you know, of course was a fan since the late seventies, yeah. but I didn't, I met, I, I would see her around in New York when I first got here, um, her and Warhol and Steven Sprouse. And I was too afraid. I don't, I'm not the type to approach somebody. So if, if something happens where we're brought together, I can, you know, be normal and have a conversation, but I'm, I'm not the type to go bother someone, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Cause I missed a chance to meet Bowie um, in New York in the late eighties. And, you know, I've missed opportunities, but I just, I, I'm, I'm too shy, I guess, to approach people, but I, I would see Debbie around and, you know, she came up to me once in like 1987 uh, at a Stephen Sprouse party for his shop he was opening in Soho. And she um, said she liked the jacket I had on. And, uh, and then, so that was exciting. And, but, and then I did her makeup in like 91 and uh, that was, um, exciting as well it was for like spin magazine and uh that was um you know we we kind of had you know a good time together and you know whatever um but it wasn't until i started djing at squeeze box doing squeeze box she used to come a lot she would perform there and uh that's why you know she started seeing my band and uh then when blondie reunited she had us open a couple shows and um we just developed a friendship over the years and um, we've, we've written together and recorded together. And uh, yeah, it's, she's great. I mean, you know, she's, she's uh, one of my all time favorites, you know. She's so nice. I, 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 um, I knew her a lot more when I was a teenager. I haven't really, like the last time I saw you, um, at that Blondie party in LA when you were DJing and she was there, I was like thinking in my head, wow, I haven't seen her in like 30 something at least years. Oh, like, really? yeah, but she was like, <laughs> she was so cool in the early punk days. It was like me and Jeffrey Lee Pierce, who was not famous and Joan Jett, who was only barely famous and Teresa Caricas and, yeah. um, you know, people like Randy um, and, you know, other people that were writing for my fanzine, lobotomy, like in those days, you could just go to the Tropicana and say, hey, who's in town? And they'd be like, oh, well, like the jam is in that room or the cramps are over here or, you know, 
And so we went and we were just saying hi to them. And um, Debbie used to always be like, Pleasant, you can't go out, eat something. Here, here's a hard boiled egg. Here, you should eat this before you start drinking. <laughs> or <laughs> she, was, so she was so That's nice. I like her. Yeah, she yeah. was great. Um, She's a sweetheart. I love yeah. that um, you, we talked about this once in New York when we had dinner with Todd and Bill. Um, how, oh, yeah, Bell Book and Candle. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. but we were laughing about how you know, such different times it was because, you know, you you were saying how you could just call the Tropicana and say, hi, it's Pleasant, who's in town this week or whatever. And they yeah. tell you what yeah. bands were in town. And I, you know, I didn't know, I, you know, when I was just a young teenager, I used to go see concerts and, you know, if we didn't have good seats, me and my best friend who whenever we were together, we would always get down in the first, right by the stage. And usually we'd be able to get our, get ourselves backstage without totally. passes. And I guess because it was such a different time and we would be dressed up that people would just assume that we were with culture club or this, the cure. Let's take yeah, another, let's take another little break. Oh, and okay. um, We will come right back in a second. Here we are again. I'm talking to Miss Guy, who's we're talking about Debbie Harry and Blondie, and also the olden days when anybody on earth could get into any concert or club if they looked as cute and fun and hip as we were when when we were young. Um, that that hasn't happened in a few decades, but yes, yeah, we're hard blanche and, uh, anyway. You didn't even have to pull the old. Don't you know who I am? Shit, because everyone just wanted someone as fabulous as you are to come in backstage or to, to whatever place. Yeah, it was really wild. I mean, because then after the, you know, fast forward to like the late nineties or the two thousands or whatever, when I actually, you know, had a name around the New York club scene or, you know, I, I was actually friends with these people and I, I would have laminates to their, sh you know, shows or whatever. And I, there's been times where like, I've been stopped at, at one time seeing uh, Debbie and uh, I was with her in her dressing room before the show. And after, and then I went and watched the show and afterwards there was another security guard or whatever. And I ha had a laminate and he wouldn't let me buy. He said, oh, that's, that's not the right laminate. And I was like, whatever, I didn't care. But I was just like, you know, but in the early eighties when I was a teenager or, you know, I could get back there and it's just, everything's become so strict and so full of rules. And, you know, I, I actually had a DJ gig where I went, it was a one-off and I went to the venue and the, the security guard at the door asked me for ID. And I mean, I lived most of my youth and twenties and even to, into my early thirties or more mid thirties, no one ever asked for ID, um, you know? And uh, even when I was under 21, I never got asked for ID. And here I was like, 
hired to DJ this gig and the guy wouldn't let me in without ID. And I'm, I didn't carry it at the time. And uh, I said, well, I can either go home and you won't have the DJ for the party or you can let me in. And he finally let me in, but I was just like, my God, it's so weird. I got uh, fucking, I got kicked out of the Go-Go's at the Greek theater a couple of years ago, escorted to the parking lot by a security guard because I said to Duke Mason, where's your mom? And he said, oh, she's downstairs, you know? And so I had an all access backstage pass and I went down to say hi to her, but I didn't know they were doing some um, like meet and greet for Live Nation, (laughs) you know? And I walked in there and all of a sudden, the, the Go-Go's road manager, Art, hi, Art, <laughs> came running out going, what the hell are you doing, Donnie? And he, he had like a, a full-on fucking conniption fit. And he's like, that's not the past. You can't be here. You can't be here. And I was like, I'm sorry. And there was all these like Go-Go's fanboys that knew who I was from like yeah. old stories and seeing shit on it. And they were just looking in horror. And then he's like, he's He's going, security, security. And these like fucking armed security guards came and escorted me outside into the parking lot. And I was just like, I mean, uh, my mouth was just open in shock. I was and I didn't want to say it to the security guard, but I was just like, what the actual fuck? Like I wouldn't, you could have just said, like, we're doing a meet and greet. Can you like just come back later or something? But I mean. How crazy. That's I didn't even I didn't even use the opportunity to say, don't you know who I am? No. <laughs> right. Oh my God, that's so nuts. How could any oh my god, whatever. People I don't know, are- but then I texted Belinda, but they were just getting ready to go on and she was like, sorry, stuff is crazy back here. And I was just like, whatever, I'm not gonna answer. I mean, you know, but that that was just bizarre. That was at the Greek? Yeah. Really weird. Um, but so let's let's like switch some gears now so um you're doing that you've been doing this whole fucking awesome pandemic project where you're taking virtual photos of people and and you did some of me and tons of millions of amazing like rock and roll people and drag queens and just like i'm sure most of them are your friends i don't know if you've done any for strangers but how did you even come up with that concept it was so cool uh, I, I was, you know, once the pandemic hit, I was, you know, I, I've been sort of focusing on the photography for like the last, since about 2015. So once that happened to the pandemic, I thought, oh, well, I guess I won't be doing, you know, any photos of anybody anytime soon. And then a friend of mine in LA, Spencer, he, um, he, uh, he was like, you should just figure out a way to take photos of someone virtually. And I was like, what a great idea. So I called up a few friends and um, said, you know, I have this idea. Will will you do it? And everyone said, yeah. So it started off with, you know, just doing friends and people I knew. And then eventually, um, you know, I started just seeing someone on Instagram and I liked their look. So I'd send them a message and, people would respond and say, yeah, a couple people told me no over the last year. And um, some people, you know, I, I've done so many people and, and tons of people that we know and, pe- you know, friends of yours, friends of mine and everything in between. And it's been fun and people all over the world. Um, it's been interesting. It's it's um, funny because I do some, I did some 
very young like musician types who were like you know 18 or 19 and there was just I don't know it was hard you know having a conversation with them because I don't know what it was that you know just the, the being so young and not you know everybody's looking at their screens and texting and whatever and so socially they're a little bit awkward and yeah. I, 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 I've done people in other countries that you know I, I don't speak their language and they don't speak English. So it's just a lot of smiling and nodding and like <laughs> so, so crazy, but um, it's been fun. And I mean, I, sometimes you end up being on doing these FaceTime calls for a long time, chatting and laughing and catching up and whatever. And then other times, you know, I've had performer friends who are like, I'm going to be dressed up and I can do five minutes before I do this live streaming thing. And so my record time is I got, what I needed in like three or four minutes, but it usually takes, you know, five to 10 minutes to get what I need, but it's been fun. And it's, it kept me creative, busy creatively during the pandemic. And um, it kept me in touch with people, which was wonderful. And um, it's something that, you know, I figure I'll always, I prefer shooting people in person, but I figure this is something I can always do if I want, if there's someone I can't get to, or they can't get to me, you know? Um, so yeah, it's been, been fun. And I'd like to do a, an exhibition someday and um, perhaps a book, but. Um, yeah, your, yeah, your photos are amazing. And anyone that's listening to this can see all of them on guyfurrow.com, or you can just click the link um, in the in the show description because yeah. this guy has done so much stuff it's going to be impossible to even get anywhere near <laughs> what you've been doing but remember we were going to do a thing when i came back to new york but this was like in 2019 or something was the last time i went and you were going to yeah. put makeup on me and we were going to take real life pictures i know I'm, well I, i'm gonna yeah, hold you yeah. to that <laughs> i well I, I i i'm gonna hold you to that as well because i i, I want to do that and i also want to I'm planning a trip to LA at some point, probably in the late summer. And I Yay! want to, I want to um, photograph some friends at their homes, which I figured would be a nice sort of new series I could start doing. And it's, it's nice because then it makes it easy for people. They don't have to leave their homes. And um, so I would love to do that. when I'm Even there. though everyone wants to leave their homes. <laughs> desperately. Well, right. That's true. <laughs> I, I had the idea I was going to do that right last spring and then the pandemic happened. So I, it couldn't happen, but um, yeah, right now everybody's, you know, itching to get out. So if we'll I see. ever get back to New York girl, I'm going to make it scream all night. Do you have any, um, <laughs> any plans to come to New York anytime soon? Um, I'm going to make some really soon. As soon as I get out of my, um, my, as soon as I get out of my crutches and into my heels phase, I'm going to start making a bunch of plans. Yeah. You got to have your heels. I have to say too, you know, um, I don't know when we actually met, but of course I knew who you were when I was a kid in school and going up to LA, um, to shop on the weekends or to, you know, go to underage clubs or see bands, but you know, uh, you, your house I, I knew of I never got invited to a party there um, no I don't think I like probably less than less than a 32nd of the people <laughs> that showed up there were actually invited right true <laughs> I, I I'm sure if I like because we used we really liked Tex and the Horseheads so we'd go see their shows sometimes and 
you know, screaming sirens and uh, some, you know, it, it was interesting that, you know, a band like, you know, a local LA band that, you know, played outside of LA, but the small town I was living in, in San Diego, like it would reach me down there. I mean, we used to get the LA weekly and scratch. I used to get scratch magazine. Oh yeah. Scratch stuff. magazine. And Lottie die. I loved that was, you know, the main reason I liked LA weekly. And, you know, so I, you know, it was sometimes if we were able to go to these shows, I feel like, you know, and we'd meet people and, you know, mutual friends and, there were there were times that we probably could have just gone to Disgraceland and been oh yeah and then and like <laughs> and then you probably would have wound up there for for a while because one of my favorite Disgraceland quotes um, said um, by Matt from the from the band the Di's <laughs> he said usually when I wake up I don't know where I am but when I wake up at your house I know exactly where I am the question is how long have I been here. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What so yes, when were you there from like the 78 late- onward 78 to 88? Like I moved uh, in with Kid Congo and Marcy Blaustein, who later wound up working with Lydia Lunch. But um yeah, we were there for so fucking long. Um I yeah, I knew I know I know Kid from over the years and mutual friends, and I used to see the cramps all the time. Um and I think it was when he was playing in the band, because that was like 80, 81, 82, 83, 84 yeah. or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know, but um, yeah, he's great. And I didn't know that you two were the, so you two moved in there first. Yeah, it was, he was the one that found it. We moved in there first and then he was the one I was living with in New York um, at Bradley and Christian's house. And then we lived, oh, Kid wow. and I had lived in another house in um, West Hollywood, an apartment that was, um, just it was right around the corner from Joan Jett's place and the whiskey, you know. So, well, Kid and I lived in a bunch of different places over the years. And when we were doing our interview for this, he was like, um, I just finished writing a book and you're all over it. And I said, That's funny because I did too. That was my pandemic project. And like, <laughs> at least half the stories have you in them. <laughs> Are you writing a new book or do you have a new yeah, book? Yeah, it's finished. It's called Rock and Roll Witch. Yeah, yeah, soon, and it's all it's all like, yeah. He's he's holding up Showgirl Confidential at me. <laughs> you guys that are listening, I signed copy. Yes, yeah, I love this book. I I was telling Teresa she needs to do a photo book, or and you know she said that she's working on something. I think and um yeah, she's got the best photos of everyone. The best photos, and she's she's so sweet. She sent me. I just got the package today. Like about I guess three or four um gorgeous photos of debbie from 70 oh my god she had the best ones yeah i mean not the best not the best one because debbie is so easy to photograph but teresa kurigas had some very iconic ones i think they're all on stage um yeah at the whiskey we were when when the ramones and blondie um played they for like it was like a full week i think at the whiskey and two shows a night we were we were there every fucking night and she said that's so crazy i would have been there too if i was just five years older (laughs) did you yeah didn't you did she take that famous photo of you and debbie and and you're standing in the yeah at the bel-air sands that was at the bel-air sands hotel which was when oh, really? when KROQ was a um when it was a pirate radio station, it used to illegally broadcast out of there before oh, it went mainstream. 
I used to have wild shows at that place. I used to tape Rodney on the Rock. What was his show on Friday nights? Yeah, I know it was Sunday nights, and that was oh, on KROQ. I used to tape it in my little cassette recorder off the radio when I was very young, like yeah. late seventies, probably into the early eighties. I wish I had kept those. Um, oh my God, I know, tapes. right? Because, no, that's, because everyone used to do that. Like, because yeah. it was that he always had like all the English imports and stuff. Oh God! Um, I mean, he had the best taste in music. I mean, his show was that was the best show. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay, so I'm going to ask you this because because we got to get some witchy shit on in here. Have you have you had any paranormal experiences or any kind of like weird stuff happen to you? Even weird synchronicities. What's that? Even sync, even weird synchronicities. Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, and I love that. I mean, you know, I have um, in my younger years in New York. Uh, there were some drug not nights, you know, of drug taking where. That's what we want to hear, baby. I, I would have, you know, some amazing out of body experiences and whatever. And, you know, um, I always sort of appreciate that kind of stuff. Cause I feel like it's a connection with the other side and, uh, you know, another realm, but I mean, I have, I just lost my sweet dog uh, a couple of years ago. I know he, monkey. monkey. He visits me in my dreams quite regularly. And usually they're nice dreams and I'm happy. And I feel like it's a, it's, it's his spirit visiting me. Same with humans. I mean, I, I have friends who have left friends and family who from time to time pop into my dreams. And I love that. But I was having these dreams. I had about three in a row where monkey was in my dream, but not coming near me and I couldn't get to him. So I started saying when I, you know, visit me in my dreams tonight, but come let me touch you and kiss me. And, you know, so that's happened a few times since, but um, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I take signs from anything that's like the other day I was sitting here working on some photos and a bird flew out, flew and landed on my AC and was staring at me and I was smiling and waving to him and talking to him and whatever. But I think that, you know, there's so much more out there that people don't explore. And I don't know if that's something that I've always been in touch with or, you know, in tune with, or if it's like the drug taking in my younger years that sort of expanded my mind, you know, but it's silly to think that this is it and that, you know, there's not other life form out there in the universe and that you can't be visited by spirits and, and have a connection with spirits and talk to spirits. Then I could just go on and on and on. No, I, I'm, I mean, exactly true, but we're going to take a break now and listen to, I am always touched by your presence, dear, by Blondie. Yay.
Okay, here we are back in the in the um, mundane world <laughs> with the, not the world of spirits <laughs> with Miss Guy, where it's never mundane. Um, tell me about your wildest tour story, or just your wildest, most debaucherous rock and roll night. Even though you must have tons to pick up from, and I'm just springing this question on you spur of the moment. God, I don't know. I mean, where to start? That's like asking <laughs> question. You know, there's so many. Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I used to always want to take drugs or get drunk before I went on stage, but I was always too afraid of like not remembering cues or something important. And because we used to use a lot of pyro, I just, all my guy, all the, all my bandmates were big potheads and would at least be, you know, stoned. But, um, I just always felt like I had to have my wits about me because you know, even not drink, having a drink before a show or take, you know, doing any drugs. My guitarist was often like tapping me on my butt to move forward. Cause I was standing near a flash pod that was about to come uh. up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, after bomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, so, um, you know, I got burnt a few times, but I never caught on fire, thankfully. But he, he, his hand caught on fire, his hair caught on fire, and people in the audience had their eyebrows singed off. But I, oh, um, my God. After we broke up and then started playing randomly, you know, after a few years, then Sean would be like, oh, you want to split a hit of ecstasy before we go on stage? And so that would that was fun, and we'd do that. I always, I'd have a drink or two or three before we went on and drink while I was on stage. But um yeah. And, you know, I don't know, I guess um, there's been fun things and there's been upsetting things. I mean, I guess I can't think of anything that was, you know, the most insane or the most debaucherous. Um, but I, I, I used to like to, you know, uh, hook up with cute fans if I could. Um, didn't always happen, but if it did, it was always fun. And we played this when the Blair Witch Project came out. Um, you remember that movie? What was that like late nineties? Yeah. We somehow got asked to play this party that coincided with the movie and it was way out in the fucking sticks in Baltimore, uh, Maryland. Oh my God. And they had this big show and people could, I don't know, camp out. So it was like freezing. It was like the beginning of winter here. And, uh, we played this weird event and, um, I was dressed in my little skimpy outfit and, you know, freezing cold and whatever. And after the show, I got hit on by some cute kid who I went back to his tent and we fooled around while my band waited in the van to drive back. To New York. <laughs> so they were always sport, real sports about that. If I was getting some action, they'd, you know, wait and laugh, whatever. But I also have, to have sex in the woods doing a in a tent it was so bizarre and i think i just recently found i was going through old photos on a, a an old hard drive and I, I came across a photo from that night uh there were several photos but i was like is that the kid that i went back to his tent but there was also this bit of fear in me that i was like because i had seen the blair witch project because john waters told me that i have to watch it he said it's really frightening and Although I didn't think it was very scary, but it was fun. But I think there was two different endings. The ending of one of them scared the fuck out of me. I don't remember what it was, but I I mean, I had my, both my cats were alive at the time and my friend and I watched it and uh, 
we we enjoyed it, but I don't remember. I was like, is John fucking with me? This isn't scary at all, really. It was, but it was fun. But anyway, I remember thinking, like, am I, you know, am I making a mistake going to this tent with this stranger? Um, <laughs> Never to be heard from again. <laughs> no right. Hashtag don't go into the woods. <laughs> well, maybe I maybe I did maybe I did get killed that night. Do you ever feel like um I was talking with a friend of mine recently about do you ever think sometimes did I die in one of my nights out on drugs or hooking up with the wrong per- stranger or whatever? And that this is all I'm imagining this. Um so I like to think about that from time to time and think that maybe this is just my imagination or something you know what i think about a lot i um i i started i mean all since the 70s i've been going to hollywood cemetery before it was called hollywood forever cemetery but during the Mm -hmm. pandemic i started going there every day to feed the ducks and the cats just because it was such a beautiful park and um i often have the conversation um like are we already dead and we're just doing this and we just think that we're doing other stuff, but actually yeah. we live here and we're spirits. Yeah. Yeah. For real. I, mean, it, I talk about it with my boyfriend all the time and like, it's, Who it's that it's, conversation with. <laughs> that's the person that I go with. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Amazing. I love the videos you post when you're feeding the ducks and the, it's so sweet. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, yeah, he because I, an organization called quackhorse.com <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> to help us feed the ducks. Oh, I love that. Qua- is it really a, it's really a real thing. It's quackhorse.org. That's so genius. I love that. I love the video. Quack horse. Oh yeah. I mean, wait, we, we made a, um, we made a video, um, Coyote Shivers made Blitzkrieg bop, but it's with samples of all the ducks and geese and swans quacking from the cemetery and it's all it's quacks creek bop and then um we changed we trained all the animals to come and eat on Didi ramon's headstone and now it's out of control with like squirrels and peacocks and geese and ducks and i mean it was it was supposed to be a joke but it's a it's a real (laughs) thing now (laughs) that's often how things start right out of like a joke idea i mean I started the Toilet Boys as a, the name was a joke. It was just going to be for that one night. No, I know. One night bands. Yeah, totally. But <laughs> I, how long, wait, how long has it been since that first joke? Right. I know it's <laughs> insane to think. I mean, my God. Because but, uh, I got to say, like, magically speaking, like you... Um, or everyone I talked to on this podcast, I mean, I know I've done it all my life. That's manifesting. You just, you just come up with an idea and then if you don't run with it, like then nothing happens. But if you run with it, just every door in the universe just flies open. And and I really think that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's, everything starts with just the thought. And then, you know, it's so interesting to see how, um, how that can develop and, become a real thing you know and then yeah, some- and a, a real thing that goes on for decades and and in right. many cases or like your life just does like a 360 it's crazy yeah and then you know it's interesting too how it can sometimes be you know this idea or thought thought that you had can become um bigger than you ever thought or 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 sometimes the opposite it doesn't become as big as what you wanted or whatever but you know it, it, it's 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 
sort of fascinating when, you know, you have these ideas when you're doing a band. I mean, I feel like most people, you know, start a band to either like, you know, hook up and get laid or to, to, you know, just party all the time and play music and whatever they love music and whatever they want to have some sort of success. And it's always different that I suppose the success thing, but, um, you know, like I, I always wanted to have a band that was like, you know, a huge band and, um, I didn't have commercial success. I had like a little taste of it with my band, but we had, we did things and played all over the world and played in front of 25,000 people and opened for some of our most favorite bands and also had all the bands that we loved growing up, Blondie, the Ramones, Kiss, um, the Plasmatics, all these people from these bands that actually would come see us play or ask us to play with them and liked coming, liked our band. And so you, you, you can't even, I, if someone would have told me that when I started my band, I would think that's not possible. That's never going to happen. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's weird how like an idea or a thought that could have just been a, a one-off joke can actually become something that like 20 years later, 25 years later, you can still talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, I, I never, I never stop being amazed by, by all of that kind of stuff. It's just like, it's insane, you know, yeah, like, I'm, yeah, your life is like magical. I mean, you know, my life as well. I mean, you, your life, you couldn't, if someone wrote a movie about your life, it would be unrealistic because <laughs> so much amazing shit has happened. You know what I mean? And I, so I, long- I sent, um, after Showgirl Confidential came out, I, I sent, um, or no, it was, it was the book before that, but I, I sent the book and like, query letters to um, a bunch of different literary agents. And I got back more than one letter where the gist of it was, um, your writing is superlative. However, your characters are um, unbelievable and the situations are absolutely implausible. And I was like, this is a fucking memoir. That's so genius. I love that. Wow. Yeah, it's true. I mean, some things that have happened in my life over the years would in a movie would just be like, that's unrealistic. That would never happen. You know, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, um, yeah, I, when I was a kid in high school, I was wanting to do makeup uh, and I applied for this little shitty beauty school in my small town. And I, they sent me a letter. They reject, they denied me. Um, you know, uh, and so I didn't go and that's fine. But I think I kept the letter as, as, as I, over the time, over, over the years from time to time, when I would do someone's makeup, like somebody major, I would think, oh, I should write, send this to that school and be like, you wouldn't let me come to your school. But I know, I know, I know. I, I kept the I kept a rejection slip from 17 magazine. It said, <laughs> Dear, dear Miss Gaiman, we are not interested in a story on the Runaways and Joan Jett at this time. <laughs> like, even though they were teenagers and stuff. Oh my God, isn't that it was crazy? Like in, I don't know, maybe it was like 76 or early 77, but I kept that. And I, 
I actually saw it like in the beginning of the pandemic when I was moving papers around and I was like, I need to fucking frame this. <laughs> yes. That's so, was that, so that was when the runaways were. Yeah. Started. When they had just like, right when their first album had just come out. But I mean, I just figured 17 magazine, it's teenage girls. Like let's, what, you, know what I mean? you remember star magazine. Oh my God. I used to shoplift it. It was my Bible. <laughs> That, I mean, think about that now. Like those girls. Were There's like, no way. There's no, no way. way. I mean, also like when I try to explain stuff, when I try to explain the way stuff was like in the seventies about, you know, how the, there's, um, there's so many people that think a lot of what happened in the seventies was, um, sexual assault or, you know, and, but a lot of it, um, a lot of it may have been, but for me and everyone I knew, it was, abs- I, I try to explain to people, you, you weren't living in the seventies. You don't know what it was like, because it's not like the men were taking advantage of the girls. It was like girls, like <laughs> girls like me, maybe that's what my next book will be called. Didn't want to be going out with the fucking idiots that were like, you know, and junior varsity, not that I paid attention to that kind of stuff in high school. We wanted someone that was like over 21 with a car in a band, yeah. could get good drugs. I mean, yeah. it didn't matter if they were like a movie director or a rock star or just a normal person, you know what I mean? But like that, that was who we dated. And when you look at it now, like when, when people see pictures of me with Iggy, when I was like, fucking 15 and 17 and some people are like wow that's so cool and other people are horrified and I was like no you just were not alive in those days like right yeah I mean my sister went in the mid set mid to late 70s she was 16 she yeah like 76 she was born in 1960 she had a boyfriend who she ended up marrying and they had a kid but and they're still friends they're not married anymore but she was 16 and he was 21 and None of us thought anything about it. My parents didn't care. I mean, wait, I was 16. He was 21. Yeah. Papa would have shot him if he knew what he'd done. <laughs> now, I guess, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore. I don't know. When I was um, 15, there was this guy I met who was like 28. And he was like the a director of plays with like, and I met him for this. I went to see this play. I wasn't in it. I had a friend in it. And I met him after and he was, you know, hot. And I was pretty inexperienced at that point, but I could tell some, that he liked me or something. And we, um, I gave him my number. He was like, you should come, and, you know, you should be in plays and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we hung out once and um, fooled around and uh, it was great. And so recently, like a couple of years ago, I was talking to an old school friend of mine that I've known since like first or second grade. And I told her that, uh, and she's like, oh my God, you were sexually abused and that's rape. And I was like, uh, no, I was 15 years old. I wanted to, I wanted that. Are you kidding? Like that wasn't, you know, um, that wasn't anything against my will. I mean, my God. I was super excited about that experience. And then we were going to hang out again. And I remember being in my bedroom and my, the phone rang. We were going to go to the movies, which is what I told my parents. And um, we, he called and I, I heard my dad. I didn't, man, I didn't know it was him, but my, I heard my dad saying something like, you stay away from my son. He's 15. And if I ever, oh my God. My, 
and I was like, oh God, that's, that's must be, I can't remember his name. I think it was Tim. He's, he, um, and I never saw him again. And I think my dad scared him, of course, but yeah, I wasn't, I, I wanted that, that I wanted it to happen again. I mean, like, you know, so it's weird, but I guess nowadays with, for a number of reasons, you know, I mean, that does happen to people, it happens to people against their will and all of that, but there's, I, there's no, it definitely does, but, and I mean, and it did back then, and that's been going on yeah. for actual centuries, but yeah. I think, like, I do think that people that are a lot younger than I am, or you are, I'm not even sure how old you are, but um, you're probably younger than me, because most people are these days, <laughs> but, um, but. I was born in the late 60s. Oh, I was born in the late 50s. You were? <laughs> yeah, 1950. I just turned 62. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> wild. So, well, that's, yeah. that's my oldest brother was born in 57. And then my little brother was born in 70. And there's everything in between. There's six of us kids. But I was born in the summer of love, which I think it was the summer of love, 67, right? That's, yeah, that was the summer of love. Yeah, I was talking to Chris Stein recently and he, you know I always like to ask older friends like who'd you see and when did you start going to see bands and whatever and he said that he I he asked me when I was born and I said the summer of love and he goes oh 67 I was I saw and he told me who he saw that year and I was just like ugh you know like he's got so many funny stories you want to know something weird about Chris Stein I mean not about Chris Stein but this is a crazy synchronicity my best friend in sixth grade um, was a girl named Isla Schloss. And um, that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, but uh, then I didn't see her for decades. And out of nowhere, I got like on, I can't even remember what social media. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> my husband took pictures of you in 1978. I didn't know you guys knew each other. <laughs> Who was her husband? Chris Stein. Oh, oh, right. Wow, that's so Isla. I remember. Yeah, Isla. Oh, I never knew her last name, but I. She oh, was... well, that's what it was. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. I knew her. She was around in the. I think her and Chris were together in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, a long time. But I mean, like, I, I was like, what the hell are the chances of that? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, maybe because she was maybe still on the East Coast, but I mean, I was just like, what? I haven't seen her about her in ages. I, it's such a small world, really. I mean, um, Angie Bowie, I did her makeup and knew her. I mean, I still know her, but not well. But in the 90s, I was doing her makeup a little bit, and she was in New York a lot. And um, she used to say, uh, it's you know, something about, the, it's a small world and it's it's you know salt on with smoke and mirrors and yeah that's what that's what lee childers used to say well that's say probably only, yeah that's exactly where she got, oh, it. got it from him oh he god he say, was the best right yeah he was fucking amazing so sweet um but, but he used to say there's only 50 people in the world and the rest is done with mirrors but that's like, right that was the jane, jane county brought um angie to a yard sale i was having once at the sky sand when um me and my roommate Iris Berry were they had just come out with clean wrap liquor like this was the first time ever and we were like woohoo so we were making margaritas and then I knew Jane from Lee Childers and from Levi 
but um right you i forgot he, about yeah i know smutty, yeah, yeah. So, so he came with uh, yeah yeah i know all of those people but so so um jane came with angie bowie and the next thing i know that she's buying like these like um gold Fredericks of hollywood springulators for me and we're laying on my bed in my bedroom and we each had one on each foot and we were like spilling tequila all over ourselves and fucking, i was just like how oh is this God. even fucking have happening you, have, you done angie? have you done angie for the for this podcast no i need to do her so I, god i mean i've had some crazy nights with her in new york and atlanta she was living in atlanta for a while with lee and i met lee from angie um but i had known jane i guess before any either of them but Anyway, they were all such great kooky characters. Well, oh and God, still are. But have you done Jane yet? No, I need to do her too. I need. Yeah. There's so many. I, I mean, this well. podcast could go on for the next five centuries. As far as totally. I, I mean, God, it's it's uh, the, the best stories. Jane, Angie, Lee. Uh, I don't know, but anyway, yeah, Lee was such a doll. And um, oh, I wanted to say I loved. I forgot that you and Levi were a, a couple, right? Yeah, and we were married too. We were boyfriend. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, he was my first husband. <laughs> how, I, how how Gabor I, I, does that sound? <laughs> I, I guess I did know that, but you know, the 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 rockabilly looks that you were doing, and wasn't Jane into rockabilly? Jane Weedland. Yeah, wasn't yeah, Jane, Jane Weedland was too. She was going out with Levi's drummer Dean. Oh, okay. Well, I, I those looks when I see photos from that time were like. I think that gets me more excited than like the punk stuff because I love, I was obsessed with the fifties and I even more obsessed with the seventies people in the seventies were doing the fifties stuff. Yeah. And you know, like same. I, thought, I got so mad at happy days cause they didn't get it completely right. It was too, it was too seventies looking. <laughs> right. Isn't that funny though? You'd see a movie star in the seventies playing a character in the forties, but they'd have the full seventies feathered like hair. Seventies <laughs> makeup. They wouldn't quite do it accurately. And that's with Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, it was the same. All that, well, even other stuff. I mean, like I, I see so many movies that like it, it'll just suddenly take me out of it. Or like even Mad Men, like all the set direction, all the makeup all the, you know, the clothes, the costumes and everything was so good. But then someone on the show would say something, this is the part where I, and it'd be like, God damn it, where the fuck are they using 2000s slang? Right, like, right. no <laughs> one would say that. I, that shit drives me crazy. And I say that to my boyfriend all the time. Like, you, you know, I'm such a stickler with those kinds of details. And like, it drives me crazy. It's like, you know, if like Courtney Love was in, uh, the people versus Larry Flint in the nineties, which was an amazing movie. But one thing stuck out to me and I was like, no one said that in, at, at that time, she, cause it was uh, taking place in the seventies and, yeah, and she was playing off the Flint. And she said right? something about like, that was like a total phrase that didn't happen until like maybe the late eighties, but more like the nineties. And I was like, and same with that Sophia Coppola movie that the Virgin suicides. Oh yeah. And that ruined that. Like anytime one of those things happen, it just, it just, it ruins it for me. I mean, I can still have the suspension of disbelief, but then simultaneously my mind is rolling on like who the fuck in the writer's room let that one go. Right. Like, and I'm like, someone's, someone's getting Yeah. I'm like, or like, why if you're doing this, what you know, if you're spending so much on like, um, like that happens to me also in like historical movies when like the knights have perfect costumes, but then if they're like the Knights Templar and they're in the Middle East or something, like 
the people that are supposed to be like, you know, the beautiful slave chattel, like dancer women are wearing fucking like um, in Indian, like, you know, four ninety nine belts that you can get in like Times Square or, or you know, like in the garment district in L.A. I was like, OK, what, what the fuck is going on here? Or, yeah. or like <laughs> if it's a, 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 a year in the 70s that takes place and you're like, well, you know, the, they'll play like a heart song that you're like, that didn't come out until 78. Or yeah. there's a Kiss poster on the wall that was from 76. And it's like Kiss wasn't even famous yet in 1972 yeah. but it's, it makes me think that someone's being lazy because they're like it's kiss is 70s it's like well or heart 70s it's so lazy and i'm like someone gets paid to do that and why aren't people and now it's so easy to fact check there should never that should never happen because it's so easy to be like to just find shit out and that drives me crazy my boyfriend doesn't care and i don't know do you think no it's horrible that's all of that stuff like when when i when i um i mean even to even to not professional stuff but you're online and someone's like talking to you or you know posting about something i look at it and i was like that's not who did that song whether it was from the 50s or the 40s or the 70s you know what i mean i was like motherfucker, we didn't have the goddamn internet when I was a young and we knew who actually did the first version of that song. Right. In a way, it's so weird. Jackie Beat always said that, you know, the internet, you think the internet would make people smarter, but in a way it's like made people dumber because I used to seek shit out, whether it was buying English magazines or, you know, I, I just would want to find out certain information and I, you know, now it's like you have all the information you ever need at your fingertips and people and are like, know it. you know, and young people over there, like if you say, oh, what about, you know, this band or that band? And that was before my time. And I was like, so what? So yeah. were Janis, Janis Joplin and the Beatles and the Stones and Jimi Hendrix. That was before your time or my time. But I still grew growing up. I knew that these artists and these songs. And it's like, don't that's such a lame excuse. It was, yeah, that's um, that's just dumb. Yeah. Dem, D-E-M, Dem. Yeah. Very, very, very that. All so right. what else? Are we going to have to do a part two? Because we could talk forever. I know, we could probably talk forever, but we should probably end it here. But let's let's do a part two at some point, though. We we'll should. do a part two when we're in real life doing sick shit in L.A. and or New York. Oh, that would be fun. I would love that. We sh- if, I'm gonna, Now I'm going to be like, oh, I wonder if, she, if she's had so-and-so on the show. So I'm going to be texting you like, oh, you got to oh, get. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Give me, all, give me all sorts of numbers. Okay. So anyway, you guys out there in podcast landia, this was the wondrous Miss Guy. And we only just barely scratched the surface on this yeah. one. So. Hey, we'll be back. And thank you so much, Guy. I love you. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.
The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. <laughs>